Hello, everyone. I'm Carter McNish, and you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. With me today is Jared Frederick, co-author of Fierce Valor, the true story of Ronald Spears and his band of brothers. Could you just uh, introduce yourself for us, Mr. Frederick? Hi there. Uh, my name is Jared Frederick. I'm an instructor of history at Penn State Altoona. I'm uh, the author of a number of books focused on military history pertaining to the Civil War and the Second World War. And uh, one of my real areas of interest is the Band of Brothers, who gained a lot of acclaim due to the HBO miniseries that came out about 20 years ago. What drew you to that topic, and how did you go about researching it? Long before the idea of Fierce Valor, our book came into existence. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll date myself a little bit, and I'll, I'll say that, you know, I was actually, you know, about to head into high school when the Band of Brothers first aired in 2001. And I became really interested in that story as I was coming of age. And I had already been interested in history by that point, but never would I have imagined as a young man in high school and going into college later on, uh, that I would have the opportunity to actually write books about these individuals that I was learning about through this miniseries. Uh, my interest with the Second World War uh, began even further back. I had a lot of family connections, as do many Americans. Both of my grandfathers and several of my uncles served in the Second World War. And there was, there was always this consciousness, even when I was very young, that my grandfathers and my family members had participated in something big and momentous a half a century earlier. Sadly, both of my grandfathers passed away by the time I was eight, and I never really had the opportunity to speak with them myself about their experiences. And so I, perhaps it was a natural inclination of mine to start to understand and explore and research and write about the experiences of others. And I suppose Fierce Valor is a byproduct of that fascination that I've had since childhood. Fierce Valor in particular is about this uh, man named Ronald Spears. Could you tell us a little bit about his background? Ronald Spears is a very interesting and compelling and often mysterious character. Uh, for those who have seen the HBO miniseries uh, Band of Brothers, um, he has a, you know, an air of mystery about him. He's interwoven throughout the script. And one way in which he gains a lot of notoriety, and some might even say infamy, is that a lot of rumors about him emerged, his, his questionable battlefield activities, especially in regard to how he handled German prisoners. Uh, but in any case, a lot of American soldiers were willing to put that by the wayside because in him they found a capable platoon leader, and as a result of his battlefield heroics, he later becomes company commander of E Company, also known as Easy Company. And he would become their longest-serving commanding officer of the Second World War. And between 1944 and 1945, uh, he and his men endured some of the most inhospitable conditions and some of the most dreary episodes of combat that one could imagine, including the Normandy invasion uh, beginning on D-Day, June 6, 1944, Operation Market Garden, uh, this uh, effort to try to end the war before the year 1945 that was very dramatic but ultimately backfired. Uh, and then 
uh, this month-long battle between December and January 1945 that we today know as Battle of the Bulge. And then to top it all off, um, he and his men are among the first men to capture Hitler's eagle's nest in Burgessgaden, this, this alpine resort community at the very end of the war. Uh, and so some of the most iconic moments of World War II in Western Europe, uh, Spears and his men participated in. And so you mentioned that Spears had this kind of infamy about him, and his soldiers called him Killer. Could you tell us about that nickname and if it's accurate or not? That's the big question of the story. That's, that's the question that everybody wants to know about. And uh, I hope Fierce Valor will be able to answer some of those questions for individuals. Uh, he really first started to gain this nickname and this reputation in the earliest moments of D-Day. Uh, he and two of his men were wandering throughout the Normandy countryside. Uh, it was dark. It was pitch black. There was chaos. There was confusion. There was combat around every corner. And he and two of his paratroopers encountered three German soldiers walking down the road. And a uh, fierce but brief hand-to-hand scuffle ensued in which those three men were able to overpower their Germans. And they were... They started interrogating them. They tried to get their bearings from them. Uh, but eventually, Spears came to the conclusion, and he told his men, we can't take them with us. There's nowhere for us to put them, and they're going to compromise our safety. And so as one of those paratroopers uh, later confessed, uh, a, a number of years later to a good historian friend of ours by the name of Mark Bando, uh, that they, they took those German soldiers out. Uh, and so th- that was really the beginning of this reputation that, that Spears gained for himself. And um, from there on, uh, in the eyes at least of some of his veterans, it was really hard to uh, differentiate fact from fiction um, in regard to how he treated prisoners. Uh, but in any case, Uh, His lethality on the battlefield was well known to all, including even his family members and friends uh, back in his Boston suburb where his family resided. Um, And his his battlefield exploits, including the fact that he killed 13 German soldiers in the first 24 hours of D-Day, was something that appeared in his hometown newspaper, no less. Uh, And so whether at home or overseas, uh, his reputation as a fierce fighter preceded him. And so you mentioned also that uh, after, after the opening hours of D-Day, once everybody had gotten together, he gained a great reputation as a spectacular platoon commander. Could you tell us about his platoon command experience? Um, yeah, and that, that brings us to, uh, I, I think, one of the more interesting components that, that readers might be able to find in Fierce Valor, um, is that there's, there's this whole other side to him. And what we tried to do is that we tried to put readers, to place them in his footsteps. What was it like to make these command decisions? What sort of circumstances did he and his men find themselves in? And one of the most compelling of them is a military action which took place about a week after D-Day, uh, known as the Battle for Carantan. And in that battle, Spears's platoon, you know, which was uh, whittled down to practically nothing just because of the rate of attrition, um, for a short time, he and his men found themselves cut off uh, in the face of this huge German counterattack that was sweeping down upon the Americans. 
Uh, and so he had to think on his feet. He had to move quickly. He had to make some really, really difficult decisions that sometimes haunted him for years that followed. Uh, and so I, I think his, his actions at Carentan uh, and just how limber on his feet he had to be really speak to his growing level of skill as the war progressed. And so you mentioned also after many of these very famous battles where he fought as a platoon commander, he eventually rose to command of Easy Company. What was that like? And did the men of Easy Company like him after a man like Richard Winters, who was universally regarded? Left for that was a, a great question, and the best way that I can answer it is that you know he did not anticipate on becoming the company commander uh, because he was thrown into the situation in a rather unexpected and hurried manner, and it it's all rooted in the actions, and some might even say the inactions of January thirteenth, nineteen forty five. There was a small crossroads village. Uh, just a few miles above the community of Bastogne, where the, their division had been you know, engaged in this prolonged standoff during the Battle of the Bulge. And uh, you know, at that time, Easy Company was commanded um, by an officer that a lot of the enlisted men did not have a lot of confidence in, a lieutenant by the name of Norman Dyke. And as the, the attack on Foy progressed, Dyke was either wounded or he panicked or he froze. Uh, it's kind of up to debate what exactly happened to him as that attack uh, rolled forward and then eventually stalled. But it was in that moment of desperation where Dick Winters, who by this time had risen to battalion commander, uh, found Spears surprisingly standing at his side. And he says, Spears, take that attack on in and keep it rolling. And that is exactly what Spears did. And here, too, this was another example of him uh, surviving a really, really close call. Uh, he leads the platoons forward. Uh, he practically runs through the enemy lines in order to, to link up his men uh, at different corners of the town. And uh, this was, in many ways, his supreme moment. And for many of his men, uh, you know, rumors and innuendo about him, it, it didn't matter at all in their minds at that given moment. They needed a capable commander who could guide them and push them onward to success. And at the Battle of Foy, that is what Spears ultimately did. And from that moment until several months after the war, uh, he remained the trustworthy yet still sometimes mysterious commander of Easy Company. After the war, when all of these guys are going home, I read somewhere that Spears actually stayed behind in the army. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about his decision-making there and why he decided to continue serving? That's correct. Spears had, he had a good inclination as a soldier, uh, and he could definitely foresee himself becoming a professional career officer. Uh, for many veterans of World War II, of course, they were itching to get home as soon as uh, Nazi Germany had surrendered. Um, but Spears felt a degree of comfort in uniform, and uh, shortly after uh, World War II ended, um, a lot of people don't realize that the 101st Airborne was actually disbanded for a time. And so um, in the ensuing years, um, Spears flipped back and forth between a number of regiments and a number of divisions, but by the time we get to the fall of 1951, um, he actually finds himself 
in a battalion leadership role in the Korean War, no less. And I think readers of Fierce Valor uh, will be, you know, really surprised by some of his exploits in Korea. He participated in two additional combat jumps, uh, and so that that in and of itself is a real rarity. He had two combat jumps in the Second World War. He had two more in Korea. This was one battle-tested officer. Um, but you know, he wasn't done quite there either. Uh, he soon after learned how to speak Russian uh, in anticipation of being sent to West Berlin to serve in a somewhat diplomatic role on the part of the U.S. Army. And by 1957, he becomes one of the commandants, one of the allied commandants of Spandau Prison. Uh, and so, you know, here, irony of ironies, a man who uh, was accused by some of committing war crimes himself uh, ended up guarding over Nazi leaderships who committed in much, much larger uh, war crimes in the Second World War. Uh, and so uh, these are just a, a few snapshots of what he was doing in the late 1940s, the 1950s and onward. And so for those of you just joining us, you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. And I'm talking with Jared Frederick, author of Fierce Valor. What did Spears do after retiring from the military? That, that too, is a, a very interesting question. And this is where we had to uh, really start to do some detective work. And uh, luckily, we were able to connect with uh, a number of family members uh, who were able to uh, offer some uh, interpretations and some background information on his life. Um, you know, throughout his uh, life, uh, Spears was married perhaps five times, and so it created somewhat of a, a tangled web for any genealogist or historian. And, you know, ultimately, the conclusion that we came to is that his, his military service really came at a high cost to his personal life because he was married to the Army, he was deployed frequently, he was traveling all over the country and all over the world, and that didn't always lead to a lot of domestic happiness as a result. Um, and so when we think about casualties of war, you know, we often think of people being physically wounded, but there's a whole other element to that, too, where, you know, what happens to people's home lives if they are gone for prolonged amounts of time? And so that was something really interesting for us to consider as we were piercing fierce valor together. Uh, but, you know, he retired, you know, by our standards fairly early. He left the military when he was in his 40s. And uh, he, he lived in various places throughout the American West. He lived in California for a time, Arizona. On occasion, he would go panning for gold in Southern California or in the foothills of Mexico. Uh, he eventually became involved in real estate to an extent. Uh, married into a family that was involved in real estate uh, redevelopment. Um, and so, you know, he, he kind of moved all over the place. He lived somewhat of a, a bohemian lifestyle. Uh, but uh, in the 1980s, he, he married his uh, final wife. He settled down, and they often spent a lot of their time in Montana. Uh, and so uh, he finally found uh, matrimonial bliss and uh, a little bit of peace and happiness uh, especially in the last 25 years of his life. And so, after all of this, what lessons do you think we can learn from Ronald Spears and his experiences as a leader and as a soldier? I think there's a lot of things that we can learn from people like Ronald Spears. 
because in so, so many ways, he is symbolic of the World War II generation. And, you know, it's an important time to reflect upon the World War II generation. We've lost over 99% of our World War II veterans. There's less than 1% of them left. And that's a, a statistic that often shocks people when I tell them that, because, you know, we were so accustomed growing up to, you know, World War II veterans being our neighbors, our grandfathers, you know, fixtures of our community. Um, but time is not always a kind thing, and uh, we're, we're quickly losing a lot of these stories. Um, so I think that's one thing that we could consider. Um, the other thing is, you know, I, I think a lot of historians are likewise starting to rethink or recast the myth of the greatest generation. When we often think back on the Second World War, it's, it's veiled by this cloak of nostalgia. Uh, we have this very uh, feel-good, optimistic, upward look at the Second World War, and in many cases that is certainly justified. Um, but in other circumstances, uh, we as historians and citizens also must consider that uh, the World War II generation had to go through horrible misery, and they sometimes likewise had to do horrible things in the name of the pursuit of victory. And it certainly finds us in this, this moral gray area of complexity. Um, not all good guys always did really good things. And I think, you know, as, as we've, you know, as we're at this 80-year departure point following the Second World War, um, I think it's time to be having honest conversations about the Second World War and find some of that nuance in our interpretations of the world's bloodiest conflict. And do you think that there are lessons uh, that people today can learn from um, how he led his men, how to inspire people, how to get them to do great things? How he inspired his men uh, is that he would not put them in a situation in which he wouldn't put himself. Um, he was most definitely an individual who led from the front. Uh, he had to conceal his inner fear and his inner anxiety. And that is often what people in leadership roles have to do. Uh, leaders often have two faces. There's the way that they see themselves, and then there's the way that their subordinates, the people working under them, see them. And Ronald Spears, as well as Dick Winters, um, and we talked about this in our previous book, which is somewhat of a, a spinoff of Fierce Valor, which is called Hang Tough, which uh, looks at Dick Winters. Uh, you know, they had to find that balance. Uh, and, and so I think, I think for a leader in any sort of capacity, uh, must think in that same way. Uh, how do my subordinates look up to me? How do they perceive me? And what can I do to ultimately move an agenda forward? Uh, the other element of uh, Spears' uh, leadership philosophies uh, is that it, perhaps this one isn't quite as a savory or one that we want to, to fully implement, um, but he used that, that mythos, that, that notion of fear to motivate his men to move forward. Uh, you know, he had this reputation, his men called him killer, and as that name would suggest, you don't want to cross or disobey somebody who has the nickname of killer. Um, and so 
Uh, that too, you know, it's not something that we want to implement in the workplace. Uh, but for him, in the context of the Second World War, it certainly worked, and it was certainly a good means of motivation. What was your favorite part of researching for the book? I would say that my favorite part of researching Fierce Valor was examining the final years of Ronald Spears's life, because ultimately he had to come to terms with this unwanted celebrity that he found himself in. Uh, the book Band of Brothers came out in 1992. The small screen HBO adaptation of that came out nine years later. And suddenly a very, very large audience was aware of Spears's exploits, uh, ones that were both heroic and ones that were also sometimes questionable. And to an extent, uh, that gave him some pause, perhaps even a degree of discomfort. Uh, he did not want to be in the spotlight. He did not generally attend veterans reunions. He did not actively seek the fellowship of his fellow veterans. Uh, and here what we see is a man who spent over 20 years in uniform, and he simply wanted to move on with life and put the war behind him. And who can blame him for feeling that way? Uh, but seeing how he was trying to negotiate this, this new celebrity and the legacy that was attached to his name, I think is a, a, a really fascinating case of you know, how we can study historical memory. What inspires us to remember historical figures and personalities in the way that we do? Um, and so for me, that was the most interesting and the most compelling part of researching Fierce Valor. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, remember, you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. This has been Jared Frederick, and I'm Carter McNish, and he is the co-author of the book Fierce Valor, the true story of Ronald Spears and his band of brothers, available everywhere on May 10th.